As we begin to reintegrate into the world post-lockdown, we're confronted with the fact that our lives are not the same as they were before 2020. And with that comes the realization that a lot of us have to relearn, rebuild, and restart. Struggling to do so myself, I wondered how other people are able to rise from the ashes of crumbled moments throughout their lifetime. I'm Rebecca Lee, and this is season two. How the fuck did you bounce back? Thank you so much for chatting with me today. I only know about you from, I think, TikTok would make the most sense. (laughs) Um, And I was like, okay, well, this chick seems rad as hell. And I (laughs) want to know more about her. And I'm sure the world does too. So, Um, and you were like, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, let's do it. Rock on. Um, I'm so, so excited to talk with you. Um, Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. uh, So, your book. Let's, yes. you know what? No, actually, I don't want to start there. I'm like, there's so many avenues I can start at. And I'm like, where do I want to start? I'm going to go with, okay. This is a question I ask a lot of people at the top of the show, which is, is there an, a low point or a challenge, a low season in your life that you're most proud of overcoming? And it can be in childhood or adolescence, adulthood, career, relationships, whatever you want. Yeah. You know, I think for me, um, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, six years ago, my grandmother passed away and we kind of have a unique situation here where we live, uh, our family lives in Northern California and we've got like 60 acres. Um, so we've got, yeah, so we've got, um, like three separate kind of properties, um, all combined together. So my grandparents live down the road, my parents live here. Um, my husband and our family lives here. And then my grandma, and my uncle, um, my gr- my uncle actually lives here also. <laughs> my grandma, before she passed away, lived here. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, so it's like a it's like a farm um, kind of like ranch situation, uh, and we're all really close, and we all get along, and it's great. Um, and my grandma actually grew up um, my whole life living next door to her, and so she was really like just one of my best friends. She was like a total badass pioneer woman. You know, grew up in the '30s, like um, worked at a cotton gin her whole life, and was just like the best, you know, um, like the the quintessential grandma that you could ever Mm. imagine. And, um, she was diagnosed with cancer and it was so incredibly fast. Like she was diagnosed and she passed away about, um, like a month, month and a half later. Um, and so when we, you know, when I was reading like about your podcast and like listening to some episodes and thinking about like the low point in my life, that for me, uh, was it. Um, and in, you know, in literature and film, um, theater, all this stuff, there's kind of like the archetypal, uh, hero's journey that follows like, um, Odysseus, right. Homer's Odyssey. Um, and there's like the, the dark night of the soul, um, is what it's called. And the alternate title is all hope is lost. Like everything falls apart, right? Like the, the antagonist, is closing in everything is just falling to shit and that is kind of what my life felt like because she was the matriarch of the family and um it was just there was a lot of depression and grief throughout the family and for me um I think especially because I was up at her house every day having coffee um my whole like writing career journey has been 10 years And she was like the one, you know, that believed in me and read all my stuff and just continued to support me. And so, uh, she passed away and that was, that was it. That was like the, the dark night of the soul for me. And, um, the way I started writing, um, and I had been writing, um, and I'd had, you know, I wrote as a job, um, I was a freelance writer and journalist and did that wrote for like magazines, print magazines, online, Disney, like bunches of places. And I didn't want to do that. (laughs) That was just, you know, money. Um, I wanted to write books and um, nothing had happened with that so far. I know, I knew I wanted to go the traditional publishing route. I knew I wanted a literary agent. And so um, grandma passed away, lots of grief, depression, and it wasn't getting better. And I knew I needed a way to process through that. And so I just started writing and, you know, I had heard 
authors talk about like, oh, it's the book of my heart. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Mm. <laughs> and then I wrote this book and I was like, I understand what that means now. <laughs> so that was, it was like really the only thing that kind of helped me process through that, like all hope is lost, dark night of the soul thing. Yeah. So, well, one, I'm so incredibly sorry for your loss. That is. Thank you. Thank you. Just soul shattering. Um, mm. Yes. So when when your grandmother passed away how how long was it before you started writing and and was it it was this book specifically right yes yeah how long were you kind of in that like I guess I like that freeze mentality where you don't really know what to or maybe you weren't like how how did you mourn how did you grieve and like how long before you started writing this book as a way to heal I think um, I I am I'm a person who struggles with emotion. I'm a like a very analytical person, uh, and so I don't know that I pro like I've, obviously everybody processes grief differently. Um, for me, I also at the time had um, I think my daughter was like four, mm. uh, and so you know it was and I was homeschooling her, and so it was like almost like sometimes there wasn't enough time for the grief, especially because I'm not good at giving into it. So I think there was probably the span of like a month, at least I would say a month to three months where it was just like nothing, just dead inside and, you know, getting through the, the slog of the day. Um, and then I just so vividly remember, I don't know why, but we were, my daughter loves the sizzler. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I also love the sizzler. <laughs> but I haven't been post-COVID, and I don't know yeah. if they still have the no, salad it bar. Was, it was pre-COVID. It was. This is how long ago it was. Like, this journey has been so long in the making for me. So my grandma passed away six years ago, and then probably three months after that, we're sitting at a sizzler. It's my parents, my husband, and myself and my daughter. And I just remember sitting there thinking, I could turn this into, an like, a... a something to honor her memory. I could, I want, like, I, you know, when you love somebody so much, you just want the whole world to, to know them. Right. That's how it is. Like I wanted people to know her story. She was such an amazing storyteller, like, you know, growing up in the freaking depression era and the dust bowl and like all that stuff is just so incredible. All of her stories. And I was like, I could do something with this. She's an amazing cook, um, like Southern, Southern style cook. And I was like, what could I do with that? And so the story started forming, um, as a way to like, you know, honor that memory and get other people to, to know her and to fall in love with her because she's just so awesome. Um, and then from that point, I think I kind of went into action mode, um, and started, started writing. And I, I mean, I wrote the book in probably six months ish. Wow. Uh, well, well, until <laughs> that seems like no time at all. I can't even put the clothes that are on my bed away in six months. <laughs> I think it was just the get it on the page, you know, um, and it was probably faster too, because it was, it was like therapy for me, sure. you know, um, and it was like heart wrenching going through the scene because it, the book, um, there's a character in the book that is inspired entirely by her, like the shit she said, she was like feisty as all freaking get out. Like she took no shit from anybody. There was a time in, uh, so she had five kids there was like shit going on at the school with her kids. She took a shotgun to the principal's office and set it on the counter and was like, do you, do we have a problem? Oh my God. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of, like, Wait, was she in, was she married? She was married. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and so yeah, she yeah. was like the kind of, uh, uh, was, authoritarian or yes, like the, definitely like, sick. Paul I, love yes. I love that. I love that. For sure. So it was like, I got to put her character in the book. Um, so as I, you know, I'm like, I'm writing her character and um, there's a recipe at the end of each chapter. And a lot of the recipes are hers. I love that. Um, so it was just like a way to, to be with her, to connect um, to her. But yeah, so six months and then, you know, the editing. The, yeah. The delightful was this the process. first, is this the first novel that you have written? No, it was actually the, this is the fourth novel um, that I've written in the first three. Well, the first one was trash, absolute trash. <laughs> I, can, I can say that with full, um, full credibility there. I know that the second, and then uh, the second one um, actually 
I was like super close to getting a literary agent and it was like, oh, I think this is it. It's happening. And it didn't. And I am a, I'm a person who believes like 100% that everything happens for a reason and everything is in its own time because it's just your path. Um, so it's given you know, that gives me peace um, throughout the, throughout my journey because it gives a sense of control, I guess, mm. you know, because, well, it's like a, it's a control, not control because I can't control it. And like that in and of itself kind of gives me an element of, okay, I'm let, I can let go because mm-hmm. that's all I can do. Yeah. So, yeah. How, how were there times? Okay. So you wrote one book, didn't, didn't dig it. The second book almost got a let, mm-hmm. you got, almost got a let agent for it. W- was mm-hmm. there ever a time, I know you said that like, you're a big believer in like everything happens for a reason, mm-hmm. but was there ever a time where you're like, oh my God, like, I guess I can't do this thing. Maybe I just have to like, Right. And I'm speaking from myself. Um, <laughs> but like maybe I need to like pivot and like do uh-huh. like go harder into like I don't uh-huh. know if you were like content writer, copywriting or what you were doing, yeah. like with yeah. magazines. Yeah. Like maybe I need to go harder into that. Or were you always like, no, I know that this is going to happen for me. It's just not the right time. I am something of a dumbass and a hard ass, like sure. on myself. Right. I relate. And so I am the most, I'm very stubborn. And so I like from day one, when I decided this, when I first started writing, um, novels, uh, this was almost 12 years ago when I first started writing my first novel, um, my actual like writing, you know, journalism career that was, that started probably nine years ago. Um, because I was getting nowhere with the novel writing. Mm. And so I knew I, you know, I could make money writing some way and then just continue to pursue because I've heard like authors say, Oh, well, it's taken me like 15 years. And you know, um, like I write in between like when I'm on a vacation or whatever. And I'm like, no, for me, this was like every single day, uh, writing. And when I would finish a book, I would edit the shit out of it. And then I would spend, you know, freaking six months to a year querying that to literary agents because it takes the publishing industry is just glacially slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it would take, you know, sometimes I'd hear back in two hours from a literary agent. And then sometimes I'd hear back six months later and, oh yeah, we'd like to read your book. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, okay. But yeah, so no, there was no point. I mean, literally have racked up, um, around 500 rejections throughout the course of my, <laughs> I'm very my, familiar. My authorial career. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but there was no, there was one point where I said to my husband, do you think I should give up? And he said, do you want to give up? And I said, no, but I don't, I don't know why this isn't happening for me. I don't understand because blah, blah, blah. But like all of the feedback from the agents was, it was always like this close. It was like, I love it so much. I want it, but I have an author with a book that's too similar Mm. or whatever, you know, it's just all kinds of things like that. And I was like, I just don't know what the fuck, like what is happening. So no, I don't want to give up. And so I was just going through this kind of whole thought process of, I'm just like way too deep of a thinker or overthinker, I should say. And so I'm in this whole process of overthinking of like, do I give up (laughs) or do I keep pursuing it? And that was when I got the offer of representation. Mm, Of course. (laughs) Okay. There we go. Um, what, so what's the process of, of sending your stuff out to, is it just like cold emailing people or are they like referrals or like, how does that, cause I know how it kind of works in the like acting and like theatrical yeah. world, but I don't know. I'm not familiar with like the, the publishing world in terms of like novels. So you can, I had like a couple referrals to agents from authors that I had corresponded with. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, um, you know, you find the agents through a that are that represent the kind of work you write Mm. and then you go to their website and they have a list of criteria we want you know a query letter in the first five chapters or a query letter in the first 10 pages or whatever you know the criteria is and then you have your you know your form query letter basically and then you kind of um tailor it to that agent a little bit you're like oh I noticed you know I saw you represent this author and my work is similar to theirs but Mm. different enough that it's not going to be competing title in the marketplace (laughs) because god forbid (laughs) yeah yeah Um, and then if they like it they request the like either half the manuscript or the full manuscript um and then uh if they like it they offer you representation okay so that happened with this novel correct yes 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then what happened? What happens after that? So after that, you um, edit the book again um, so that it's just nice and shiny and, you know, to the best of its ability. And then the editor or the agent takes it and sends it to um, editors at publishing houses. Okay. Um, and then, you know, same kind of thing where it's like, they've got a pitch for the book. Um, and a lot of these editors they have relationships with because they've worked with them before. Right. Um, and so it is easy. It's still, the probability is very low. Like, um, it's called dying on submission. So like a lot of authors will write a book, they'll get a literary agent, and then the agent will take their book on submission to editors and nobody will buy it and they have to start all over. So they still have an agent, but they have to write a whole new book. And so basically the editor, if the editor likes it, it's not enough. The editor then takes it to the other editors at the publishing house and they all have to read it and decide, okay, yes, we want to purchase this. And then that's it. And so they decided like, yes, we want to purchase this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. Uh, that's so, You're and, telling me. <laughs> it comes out in September? Yeah, or is it already September. out? It comes no, out September. September, September yeah. 19th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 So you, so they're shopping it around. Does it sell pretty, does it sell pretty fast or? Um, sometimes. Yes. <laughs> what happened no, with yours? Did not because okay. Tell me, during, yeah. Tell me what happened with yours. Yeah, it was during COVID. Um, mm. so basically the already glacially slow response times were even slower because everybody was writing because everybody was home. So uh, it, there was a huge backlog and I, again, so like I had said, there was two times where I wanted to give up and one was right before I got my literary agent. And then I had basically almost written it off. My agent was like, I'm not ready to give up on this. Um, like we're going to go on another round of submission. And that was when it sold. And that was like, I don't know, <laughs> like eight months ago. Oh, oh, oh no, okay. Six, okay, months okay. Ago, six months ago. I don't so know. So how be- long was, how long was it? between when they started submitting and when you got the deal i want to say like um a year and a half okay yeah so that's like that's like a minute and while you (laughs) were you still like writing in the meantime like i yeah i started um writing another book like i had i stopped writing for like money i guess i should not not for money but i stopped journalism and content writing probably like two-ish years ago I still do some here and there but I had a second child um and that was like right um actually right after I got my literary agent um so I yes I have two kids and uh homeschooling one and I was just like I'm just gonna write and write books you know write my next book and so that's what I was working on and just kind of in that headspace of if it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell. And then it's, it'll be the next one because I have this thing where like, I'm, I am really all about self-fulfilling prophecy and positivity. I'm probably stupidly like to the point where you would say, or somebody would say you, you know, that's not realistic. And I'm like, mm. I am fully aware of that <laughs> yeah. with it because I have to be that hopeful and that positive. Otherwise my life will just be stressful and a living hell. And I don't want that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to a musician on the show and he said something along the lines of like the, the, you know, 1% to make it or whatever the, mm-hmm. that is, are the ones that were too stupid or naive to quit. And I'm like, yes. yeah, <laughs> I relate. I, we're all like, no, we can do it. It's fine. <laughs> it's going to happen at some point. Yeah, exactly. Statistically speaking, it has to be accurate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm curious about like, you mentioned that writing was very helpful for you and your mental health during the time of like grieving. For sure. Has that always been your go-to modality for your mental health or is it, has it shifted now that it's like your career or is it still that? I think it's, it's still that. I mean, when I was in, uh, I started college young. Um, and so when I was in college, uh, that was, that was it. It was like poetry, more poetry, um, at the time for that. And then it shifted into like short stories and academic papers because I love, I love writing academic papers. So for in school, it was like, um, I loved homework. I loved writing papers. And it, that for me, cause it's, it was, even though it was academic, it was still a creative outlet and process for me. And then after college, um, it went straight into book novel writing. And so if I go too long without writing, I can feel it build up 
Um, mm. and I can feel myself not, I'm not right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I need that like release and that outlet. Yeah. So it's definitely always been writing for sure. Is it, is it always like, like, um, like a story or is it ever like journaling type of Oh yeah. I mean, I've been, I've, I haven't journaled now. Now what I do is I've switched my journaling to, I have this really cool leather bound journal that I got in Turkey, um, a couple years ago. And I use that, uh, to write to my daughters, um, that I will give to them when they're older. Um, and so that's kind of the mode that my journaling has taken on, but before that, yeah. And that, I get that from my dad, my dad, literally, he has those like little red journals, um, for where it's like a page for each day. Mm, and yeah. I mean, he has those from like when he was, I think he started when he was like 17 or 18. He has one for every year. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. That crazy? That's so cool. That's yeah. like such a cool time capsule. Yes, totally, totally, totally. So writing is like your go-to for when you like your mental health and when you need to get something out. Is there anything else that like you find really helpful if you're in times of stress or, um, just, your mental's not on point water yeah um, okay yeah I I and I didn't know <laughs> that this was like a thing <laughs> um and then I got into the world I had not so I got on TikTok like back in October and I had never been on TikTok before then and my whole world was up. That's really crazy. yeah yeah I was a I have I was diagnosed with like very severe OCD when I was young like mm. like three um, like to the, you know, counting my steps, light switches, hand washing the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, I, I had, for me, it's always been water. I was a swimmer. Um, and even now, like, even when I'm writing and I'm, I have a block, I'll go take a shower <laughs> or take a bath because I need, there's, I don't know what it is. It's like the weirdest thing. And if it's summer, I'll get in the pool, you know, or whatever. But if it's, it's, you know, raining and windy. And for some reason that just like, it's it's like a reset i guess um and it yeah. just clears uh clears my head and my almost like my emotions in a sense yeah it's, yeah it's super weird but i guess that's i guess the water thing is like a is connected to ocd somehow like it's a, is it? neuro, it's I was, a neurodivergent i was um, gonna say because i'm the same way with water but i'm and i i was diagnosed with ocd but it was never you know um, it was never like accounting or, uh, like, yes, you know, yeah. it was like a d different kind. I don't know. Um, but I didn't know that they were related. Was water. it more like, um, was yours, is yours more like, um, thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. And that it's so weird because as I've gotten older, that's what mine has turned to like the anxious oh, yeah. repetitive, um, thoughts that are like thought spirals, which is super fun by the way. <laughs> oh yeah. Love it. Highly recommend it. You guys Highly if you've never had a thought spiral, <laughs> definitely go do it. Uh, uh, yeah. I still have a few, I have like a few more like superstitious -y kind of ones. Um, Preach. yeah, but like for the most part, they're, they're thoughts, they're thought yeah. spirals and, I, and people don't understand how like imp impossible they are to get at. Like it is so, <laughs> so mm -hmm. hard and takes like so much practice to be able to get out of them like and water does That's it for fair. you though water yeah. is helpful for you water is helpful and yeah it is it is incredibly difficult and I mean for for me because my days are so busy um they don't you know they're controllable during the day usually <laughs> yeah um but like when I'm laying in bed oh my gosh no it's like it's it's and I play over you know uh, take every thought captive is kind of like my mantra um, mm. because it's the only way to like kick it in the ass because it it really is 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 just so hard <laughs> wait what is the mantra again say it again take every thought captive ah. it's it's from the bible and it's um it's just like a it's just like a way I, I connect it to, there's a quote um, and I can't remember who it's by, but it's um, your mind is dyed by the color of its thoughts. And so for me, I, I always, those are the two that like go back, back and forth in my head um, because it's just like, you know, the thoughts just devolve. Like it's not only a thought spiral, you know, it starts and then it just devolves and it gets worse and worse. And you have to come up with this. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so just taking taking every thought captive and and uh yeah it's, yeah it's hard though <laughs> yeah how did grow did growing up with OCD affect you in any way or like did it yeah or 
I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it still does like, you know, I'm sure I'm, a, I'm, my, I'm, I'm sure I'm a pain in the ass to live with <laughs> or I'm a just absolute delight. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> the house is always very clean though. I can yeah. Tell you that. Yeah. Okay. Absolute delight on my list. Uh, but, um, no, I, I think it was, it, because I went to therapy young, I think mm. I, equipped with the right tools to manage it. Um, so it never interfered. <laughs> it usually never interfered. So you my mom, to- my mom loves to tell the story of what, when I was like, I think I was like six, I was in kindergarten and I was going to public school and I, she would like tuck me in. And one night she came to like check on me or something. And I was sleeping on the floor on a towel with like the front of the towel, like rolled up a little bit for a pillow because I didn't have enough time in the morning to make my bed the way it needed to be made <laughs> and like put all the stuffed animals on in the right, you know, spots and everything. She's like, and that was when she was like, and that's when I knew we had a problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then you started going to therapy as a kid. Yeah. 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 And that it definitely helped for sure. How, what did they teach you? Like any tools for um, you know, I, my mom, I think they did, they worked with my mom and was, uh, setting timers, um, and giving a lot, you know, giving leeway, I guess, to like, okay, Hey, we're going to, in 10 minutes, we're going to stop mm-hmm. this and move on to the next thing because it's, it's, you know, hard to get uh, just like a thought spiral type of thing. It's hard to disassociate from this thing and move to that one. Um, and just kind of like desensitization type things, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, if this is in this location instead of this one, it's okay. But, you know, basically try it, try it with just this one thing, make all the other stuff perfect. And then just move this one item or whatever, just a little bit type of type of yeah. stuff. So, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, do you still go to therapy or is that, was that more of like a childhood thing? That was more of a childhood thing. Um, I started going to therapy um, like, I don't know, four to six months ago, not that long ago. Cause I whole other session, but, um, I, I developed claustrophobia. <laughs> I, this is so weird. I have, I had that too, but it didn't last. Oh, really? Is, well, thank yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It's so weird, but like mine, I discovered it because I was like getting a facial or something and you, they put like the light, the red, I don't know, LED, whatever yeah. the fuck that is on your, like close to your face or whatever. Yeah. And you have to like wear a mask. And mm-hmm. I've never had a problem with anything remotely like that. I freaked the fuck out. And I was like, I stop, like, I can't do <laughs> this. Take it away. Like, take it off. And I was like, what the fuck? And then it happened again when like I was, I was doing a, some comedy thing and for an, an exercise, the lights had to go off. And so it was like pitch oh, black. Yeah. There was no windows yeah. and I freaked the fuck out. And I was like, okay, well, what the fuck is this? What is do you yours? Mind ask, do you mind if I ask when this happened? This was like actually before the pandemic, like right, right okay, before. Okay, really? Yeah. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And you, no, no idea like what precipitated it or anything Not like that? Not really. I mean, I'm sure it was like a control thing, you know, yes. like I had been in a like a previous uh, like domestic abusive relationship mm-hmm. and I'm sure that that had something yes. to do with it, you know, and there For was sure. just like a little gap of time. I, Cause it wasn't like right after that relationship. Yeah. It was like maybe a couple of years after, but I, I feel like it has to be that. Oh, Cause it's hello. such a traumatic yeah, thing, rep- you know? Repression. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. yeah. What, what was your, do you think yours is COVID related? I think, um, I think it, I think it was partially, I think COVID exacerbated it with the masks and everything. Mm. Um, but I also, I have like really, <laughs> I am such a freak. I have really severe night terrors. <laughs> yeah. That's a thing. It is a real freaking thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yes. And my poor, God bless him, husband is, he's just like the best. And he's so, he's so supportive and helpful with it. Um, And yeah, so the night terrors, uh, I think there's a correlation between the night terrors and the onset of um, the claustrophobia combined with the masks and you know, isolation from COVID. What's the difference between like a night terrors and like nightmares? Like what is the differentiation? So night terrors are, um, 
it's, I swear it's like, it's like possession. <laughs> it's, it's so scary. It's, um, there's something where, um, like you physically cannot move. Um, Oh, so it's like yeah. sleep paralysis too. Yeah. So there's definitely, so it starts out as sleep paralysis. And then, um, for me, it, uh, comes out as like, um, uh, I'm very, very aggressive <laughs> and I'm because my adrenaline is so heightened. I'm also freakishly strong. Um, and so like, I don't, I don't know why it manifests this way, but the night terror itself, and typically people don't remember night terrors. And mm. I always remember mine, um, which is I why like when I, when I get out of them, which is really incredibly hard to wake me up out of them. Um, I remember every single thing that happened and I'm like, I can't sleep for like two weeks <laughs> because I'm so terrified of it happening, happening again. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That's so awful. it's, yeah, it's like blood curdling screaming and like low, my husband, you know, obviously sleeping next to me and I'm like on top of him just like, yeah, it's like very violent. <laughs> oh my God. So what do you, so what, so you're in therapy now to like, like try to tackle that? Yeah. So that was, um, that I did EMDR, um, mm -hmm. therapy and it was just the wild, it was like magic. I swear. I, it was like, what kind of witchcraft is this? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> but, is EMDR the eye movement one or the, yeah. Pulse? So it's, yeah. So you've got like the little pulse things in your yeah. hands and be beeping in your ears and got it. You know, your eyes are closed. What? And... So like, this is not the first time that, the, that this modality of therapy has been brought mm -hmm. up on this podcast. Do you, as that's happening, are you recounting the dream or recounting a traumatic event or I was trying to get rid of my claustrophobia because we were going on a cruise and I was Got like, it. those hallways are not going to do it for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like super narrow. And so she was asking me, you know, the space I had to go into was the claustrophobia mm. that was scary to me. Like what was giving me the anxiety. Right. And I pictured in my head, like that long hallway with no end in sight. Um, and so that was what I pictured, but then as she was doing it and as we moved, you know, through more sessions and stuff, she asked me to go back to a time where I, she's like, so what do you feel like when you're in that hallway? Right. So, you know, think about that, feel that right. And then think like, go back and think of another time in your life where you felt like that. And in my head, I'm like, I'm like very skeptical, you know? And so in my head, I'm like, okay, <laughs> let me go back in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm doing this and it was the most unnerving, crazy thing um, because it was the same exact feeling of when I wake up from a night terror. Um, and so just like that, the pressure on my chest and the absolute like terror and anxiety, um, that lack of control, um, which is why I am like, I, for myself, I have like, I just am all about like control. Um, but yeah, so that was it. And it was the picturing the hallway and then connecting it to the night terrors. And that was it. I don't have claustrophobia anywhere. <laughs> oh, you, oh, really? So yeah. like it like cured it. Yeah, it was, it oh, was shit. insane. Yeah. Yeah. That is wild. And then are night terrors still a thing that you're working on? I have not had a night terror since that my last EMDR session. I know. Right. <laughs> knock on wood, knock on wood. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Insane. So EMDR is like the, like the Legit real deal. Shit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I've heard of it for sure for like trauma-based um, mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, that's good. And that, yeah, it's interesting that you say that because she was like, I, I know that like claustrophobia isn't really necessarily trauma, but I, she had a feeling that it was trauma related. Um, and so that's why she chose EMDR and I was like, that makes sense. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's the fucking brain is wild. I know. It's insane. It's wild shit. Um, okay. I'm going to divert us a little bit, but. Divert away. Uh, so because you're a writer, you, I'm assuming make your own schedule, correct? I do. Your own <laughs> daily schedule. What, walk me through, is routine helpful for you? Is it not? Is, do you struggle with it? Is it easy? break it down. I am like, I am, t I am, you would think I'd be good at routine because I'm OCD, <laughs> but I am a very like, um, free spirit. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way. Yes. And so when it comes to like 
the way I get into bed, right? Like I listen to Harry Potter audiobook every single night. And so like the light has to be just right. And the noise level has to, so like all that stuff, routine. Yep. Good. Got it down. Routine in everyday life. Bad, very bad at it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So like, how do you get shit done as a Um, freelancer? Yeah. So my husband also works from home. Um, and he is, so we homeschool. So my two daughters, I've got one daughter, she's nine. And then the other is two. Um, so basically what it looks like is it's just like a community effort because my parents live, you know, right down there. So they have my girls right now. Um, and you know, he'll take the kids and I'll do writing. We have a workshop on the side of the garage. Um, that's like, you know, a super nice office basically. Um, so I'll go up there and I'll write, he'll take the kids for two hours or whatever. And then we'll just switch off basically back and Mm. forth, but it doesn't look the same two days in a row ever. Mm, Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. And I can't write at night because by then my brain is just completely turned off. Um, so typically it's morning to afternoon, but yeah, no two days look a lot. And sometimes it's frustrating that no two days look the same because it'd be nice to be like, okay, I'm writing it this time. And you know, blah, blah, blah. When I'm on deadline, that's different because I love being on deadline. <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. It's literally so good for me because I work very well under pressure. I work very well with direction and I like having the pressure of, I want to rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. So whenever I'm like, just, even if I don't need it, can you just give me a deadline? Like, <laughs> just give me one. <laughs> yeah. They're like, ma'am, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but yeah, so there's no, there's no rhyme or reason or routine, really. It's just kind of whatever, whatever works or whatever happens. So when you have like a deadline, when you're on deadline, you're able to be like, okay, I have to work this much a day. But like when you are not, do you, are you like, I need to write for X amount of hours a day or is that? Um, no, I don't typically do hour. I time, I do word count. Um, oh, okay. so I will usually want to write a minimum of a thousand words a day. Okay. Um, but yeah, if I'm on deadline, then, you know, everybody takes turns with the kids and, um, I'm just off doing my thing in my own little world. Um, but it's a little different right now because I'm doing a lot of marketing, um, Mm. you know, and so it looks a little bit different. We're, we're leaving, um, next month for six weeks um, for like a little vacation trip. And that's when I'm going to be working on like actual writing. <laughs> um, yeah. it's been, it's been a minute since I've, and I need to write the second book. <laughs> so I got to start it. Did they like, how did, were they like, yeah, we're going to give you an advance. I don't know how that works. Are they like, yeah, we're going to advance so you for a second book for the second? Well, uh, I, well, <laughs> hopefully yes. <laughs> Let me, I'll, I'll say that first. But basically I have to um, write the synopsis, like a really detailed synopsis. And then the first, you know, three chapters or whatever. Um, and then what I can do is I can have my agent take that to them and say, you know, do you want this? Basically. Got it. And they, it's in the contract that they get to see it first before they send, before my agent sends it to anywhere else. And then they can say, you know, yes, we want to buy it or no, thanks. We're good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then that this was option for a movie, a movie, a series. It's, what? Uh, no. So it's, um, we're in conversation with like different, um, film agents and producers. And then there's like, it's so crazy. Cause there's like, you're not allowed to talk about stuff for so long or, or like say anything specific. You yeah. Know? Okay. So, so you can't, you still can't say, I mean, I can't, I can't give any specifics no. sure, sure, but sure, with sure, like sure. foreign rights stuff and film stuff. Um, there's like a lot going on behind the scenes. Um, and my goal always, like when I started writing 12 years ago was New York times bestseller. That's my goal. Um, and to make it onto the New York times bestseller list, um, in my category, my genre, it, you have to sell a minimum of 5,000 copies in a one week period. Damn. Yes. Count towards that first week of sales. Um, so I'm here just trying to rack up all the like pre-orders that I can so that like it'll Wait, launch. pre-orders it'll do count for the yes. first week? Okay, yes. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so I think we're at like, um, I don't know, last time I checked a couple weeks ago, we're at like 1250 uh, okay. pre-orders. So okay, okay. I'm just like, that's my goal. <laughs> and like, how did this, 
I mean, I also, if you can't talk about this, that's fine. But, like, how did you – how did it get – talked about for movies or tv or what like how did that conversation the, come the agency about? does all that so they you know Got the agency it. um my agent is with uh they're called irene goodman literary agency and they're amazing so they've got, you know, people who handle foreign rights. So they're sending it off to foreign publishers to talk about like translations and um, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then they've got uh, people handling like film, TV. It's called transmedia is what it's called. Okay. Um, and so that's like shows, tele television, film, stuff like that. Um, and the audio rights are already sold. Um, so that's great. Yeah, that's yes, so totally. cool. That's so rad. I uh, that's yeah. amazing. Um, how do you balance like career and homeschooling? And like, what what was the were you you weren't home? You said you went to public school. I, maybe later. I was in public school until like second grade only, and then I was homeschooled. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So like, what's the break it down like what why homeschool and how do you manage it with uh, um. your career? Well, uh, I was homeschooled because, um, my brother had, he had broken his back, um, and he physically was not able to go to school. And I was like, well, peace out. I hated it. I hated public school. Oh, really? We lived in Tennessee at the time. Um, and my, it, nobody homeschooled back then. It was like not a thing. And my dad was like, no, we, my children are not being homeschooled. My mom was like, uh, yes, they are. <laughs> So we were homeschooled and my, my, we both loved it. Um, and then as we got older, we continued to homeschool through high school because we traveled a lot. My dad was a pilot for FedEx. Um, and so we would go for a month to four months um, and just be gone wherever. Uh, and public school doesn't like that very much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so same for my kids or, I mean, my two-year-old obviously isn't homeschooled yet, but um we wanted to homeschool just because I, we travel a lot yeah. and I, it just works out better for us. And I, I love it. I think it's like, for us, it works really well. Um, and it's super fun. She does, you know, they're called like charter school classes. Um, so she can be in a school like environment um, without actually going to public school. Um, and then balancing it I think I will always fail at that for sure <laughs> mm. um because I am um I'm a bit of a workaholic and I think um I I just I struggle with that a lot and it's not necessarily that it's like oh my worth is in what I accomplish it's more I have this dream and I'm going to pursue the shit out of it until I get what I want um and especially right now, that's, that's where I'm at. And so again, it's just like that kind of my, my dad just retired. Um, and he does a lot of the stuff with the kids. Like, you know, he'll take them down the property and, um, take them on walks and quad rides and stuff like that. Um, and my mom does history and cooking and all that kind of stuff with my fourth grader. And so it's just, you know, it's like a little compound. <laughs> I love that. Can I move in? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> For sure. I'll teach, I'll teach something. Um, Perfect. <laughs> you can teach podcasting. Great. Uh, skill everybody needs. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Definitely. Um, what is something that like you're working on for yourself right now that's kind of like mental health related? Because it sounds like you did, um, you were working on like the EMDR stuff. Is there like something that you're like, oh, I want to be better in this area or... That is a great question. And I feel like the only answer I have is, and I don't, I don't know if this qualifies as like mental health. Based on like what you, you sound like someone who's like always trying to like be the best version of themselves, yes. you know? Yes. And yeah. I relate to that too. And so I'm like, well, I always, I'm always trying to like, I don't know, do something to better me. Yes. Um, whether it's mental health related or, or otherwise, like, oh, I want it. I, like for thought spiral stuff, it's like I'm trying to, when I get in that place, moving locations, like physical mm -hmm. locations, even I if it's just that. from yeah. upstairs to downstairs is like yeah. very helpful. So I'm trying yeah. to, I'm trying to like instill that in me more. Yeah. Um, so I'm just curious if you have any. Yeah. Ideas. For me, um, it's so funny that you asked that too, because I was literally thinking about this again last night as I was laying in bed. Um, I want to, you know, if you hear the five love languages. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm. 
I love the five love languages. Like I love all personality tests. Wait, you do? Then do you know what your Enneagram number is? <laughs> Please. I'm a okay. one wing nine. <laughs> you're a what? You're a one wing nine? Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Great. I'm a four wing three. Okay. 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 Uh, 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 okay. Great. Great. I'm, I'm glad that we know this about each yes. other now. Yes. It's so Perfect. helpful. I feel like you're bringing it up it's way great. too many times on this like, podcast, but it's so fucking helpful. It's, I'm like, why would you not mm-hmm. do invest in something like that where you can learn more about the way you are and why you are the way you are? Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. Do you know what your husband is? Um, I, he is, he's like an enigma. I swear on all that is holy. Um, I don't know what he is because. Does it change every time he takes it or something? It changes. Yeah. yeah. He's so like, we're a family of Gemini's, Rebecca. Oh, okay. 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 We're okay. Gemini's in one okay. family. Damn. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's Wait, yeah. you're two, you're two kids, your husband and you all Gemini. All Gemini's. All <gasps> my Gemini's. mom, my mom and my sister are both Gemini. So oh. I, I see you. I see you. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. Um, but all I have to say, yes. Yeah, so last night laying in bed, um, thinking about the five love, love languages, because what I've really been wanting to work on is um, showing more love. <laughs> yeah. Really weird. Um, but I want to be more demonstrative in the way that I love. And I want to do that through serving. Um and for, for me, like what that looks like is, you know, because when I swear <laughs> I have the, I love my husband so much. I, sw- I think he's the best person on the planet. He's my best friend. He's like a hundred times better of a person than me. Um, and so sometimes I feel like I let that, I let him do too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want that. Like I want to do stuff for him too. And so even if it's like, making him a sandwich, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever his love language is, whatever way that I can serve him in that way and show my love through that. And it's the same with my kids. Like for my mom, her love language is, um, acts of service and quality time. So if I can go like, Hey, let's go get a pedicure, um, have my, have Logan watch the kids, whatever. So just different ways that for the people around me that I can serve them and love love on them in the way that they will receive it the best basically. Uh, Yeah. And how incredible is it that like you are aware of that and like you're making active choices to like pursue that? Because I feel like a lot of people go their entire lives without even questioning like how do I show love and how does my partner receive love? Like Mm -hmm. just go their entire lives without even thinking about it. It's crazy. Yeah. Because you can, um, you can do something for somebody like, like for example, um, if my if Logan, my husband, if he like emptied the dishwasher, right? I'd be like, cool, great. <laughs> I could have done it faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but if we sit down to watch a show at night and he's like, Can I rub your feet? That I'm like, oh my gosh, you love me. That's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's not like a um, like a universal thing. We all like uh, experience love differently. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. Yeah. Oh man. I love that. That's such a good one. Um, okay. As we're wrapping up, I wanted to ask if you could give a piece of advice to anybody, whether it's somebody in a low point or low season, um, or just something that you've, uh, something you've heard or picked up throughout the course of your life. That's been really helpful for you. Um, what would you, uh, what would you give to us? Um, I think one of the best pieces of advice um, I've ever received was from my grandfather, who is a very successful businessman. And I was in college. So I started college at 15. I graduated. Oh, whoa. Early, and Holy shit. <laughs> that's why you're I was homeschooled. <laughs> you're like smart as hell. <laughs> no, I was. I no, I just I was done with high school. I finished all the curriculum because I was, you know, at home. Right. And what I wanted. And my brother was going to university and he's four years older than me. I wanted to go with him. Um, and so I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I took the the test and finished and blah, blah. Um, so I started college and I, I loved it so much. Um, but I couldn't decide what I didn't know what I wanted to be or, or anything like that. I always knew who I was. Like I mm-hmm. was very confident in my weirdness, my quirkiness, all that stuff. Um, and that was in huge part because of the way I was raised. Um, but you know how like people are like, I know, like they have that innate, like, I know what I want to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Never had that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so anyway, I, I changed my major like three or four times. And then when I finally realized, oh my gosh, duh, I want to, like, I need to do something with books. I'm a book person. I've always been an insanely avid reader, um, have like a library with probably about 2000 books. And yeah, it's like, it's massive. <laughs> um, and why, why have I not thought of this before? So anyway, um, I was, that was right before I was about to graduate. <laughs> semester before I was about to graduate and I was like well I can't fucking change my major now that's ridiculous yeah. and so I was talking to my grandpa about it and he said I said I can't because I'm not I'm not quitting I'm not quitting this is ridiculous I have to graduate and he said it's not quitting it's a change of direction and that kind of just reset the whole thing for me and I think about that really often whenever I'm like being really hard on myself or, um, you know, I'm not meeting my own expectations or whatever the case may be. And I just tell myself, I'm not quitting. I'm not failing. That's not what this is. I'm just changing direction, um, until the next moment. Like, and so that's, that's kind of been a huge, um, boon to me throughout my, my, these last yeah. years. Yeah. That's, do you feel like you're harder on yourself than other people are hard on you? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm so mean to myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm like surprised you're a Gemini. I'm surprised you're not an earth sign, to be honest with you, based on. Like I, I agree. Yes. It is weird to me also. I'm, yeah. Yep. 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 Do you know like your moon and your rising? I don't. I was just, my, uh, my sister-in-law is um, a genius at all of that. Like sh that's what she does. Oh, uh, hell yeah. Like literally. And so she's like, you need to find your birth time. And I was like, I know. <laughs> oh, it's because you're I, missing the birth time. Got yeah, it. So, so that's the, that's on, next on the agenda. It's somewhere in my parents' house. Don't know where. <laughs> I mean, it's probably not as important as, yeah. you know, homeschooling your children <laughs> oh, or writing. Or... I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, well, thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time. I, I really, really appreciate it. It was so great getting to know you. Um, and I can't wait to read the book. Oh, thank you so much. It was awesome. This is the best experience. First podcast that I ever I'm so excited. I'm ex <laughs> and wait, where can they buy? Where can people buy the book? The Unfortunate anywhere, Side Effects anywhere. of Heartbreak um, and Magic? Books. Yeah. So uh, Unfortunate Side Effects of Heartbreak and Magic. Um, you can Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, anywhere. Wait, give us a brief synopsis really quick. Um, a love cursed witch, uh, her life, she's a love cursed witch. Um, her life completely falls apart because her grandmother's diagnosed with cancer. Um, her first heartbreak returns to town and she has a, an estranged relationship with her twin brother. Um, and all this shit starts happening and her life just completely falls apart. Um, and ultimately there was a, like a life debt, um, because somebody's gonna die <laughs> and she has to figure it all out and it's describe you describe it as gilmore girls meets practical practical yeah. magic yeah yeah so, okay totally. okay yeah. you guys we're, we're all gonna we're all gonna go buy it uh, <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of how the fuck did you bounce back with guest author brianne randall you can pre-order her book it's called the unfortunate side effects of heartbreak and magic and she describes it as the gilmore girls meets practical magic thanks again for listening new episodes every thursday <laughs> 